bum, 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 yeah, we are recording. We are recording. So I watched I watched a few newer, but not like too new. Like these are movies that ha- had come out recently, and I just like either didn't see them in the theater or I just didn't see them. Period. But I finally watched Old, which is the M Night Shyamalan movie. Did you see it? No. It's not bad. Which I feel like is a lot of his movies are just like not bad. Like I didn't hate watching it, but I kind of like thought it was funny. I was like, this is what the twist, like this is your big, like it's it's clever. And I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Of course, like if you got your hands on this like mythical island, how could you bastardize it or use capitalism to, you know, um, leech off it and and you would test on people. Well, I gave away the twist, but most of you will see it or never will see it. I don't care. But it's like, I don't know. I, I like M. Night Shyamalan. There's a few movies of his that I really like. Like, I really like The Village and that's not one of his most popular ones. I love Unbreakable. I think that's like one of the best like comic based movies that doesn't look like a comic film or, or based on it. Yeah, yeah, based on, based on it, yeah, but it's like it's awesome. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I liked it. It's like not bad. I, I put it on like I had a weekend where I had to stay in, and I was just like, might as well put it on. Haven't seen it. It's enjoyable, but it's like I I think I found it more humorous at the end than I did like oh wow like thought provoking. I was just like oh, this is where we're at in society, but good, not bad. And then I saw Shang Chi, which. I fucking loved it. I think yeah. this like this was like one of the first Marvel movies that I hadn't seen in the theater. I didn't see Black Widow in the theater either, but I wanted to. You know, there's so many movies that I wanted to see in the theater, but this movie I fucking loved. It's got like this really thick like um, folklore. You know, like um, he is part of the Marvel universe. Um, there's a character. It's it's funny because they make fun of it a little bit. Um, called the Mandarin, which um, we talked about that goes back to Iron Man 3, then mm-hmm. Kingsley's in it. So it kind of like makes fun of these very big mistakes or even talk about like how racist the, <laughs> the comics were in certain aspects, especially towards um, yeah. Asian or Chinese people. And, and so I thought that was kind of interesting of how they like made fun of it or incorporated into the storyline or just um, fixed it yeah 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 or like made it better they were like oh this yeah. is how we're gonna fix it it was so fucking good i i honestly loved it i loved it. it's like probably top of my like you know if i have to grab all those films together and like pick out which ones are my favorites it's like up there t- to me with like guardians of the galaxy it's funny yeah um aquafina's funny in it but i know you, you said you don't really like her but i think she's no, no. great no it's no that's what i was saying when i when i saw shang chi was that I don't want, there's part of me that just doesn't want to like her, but I can't help it. Like, I really, I really quite like Aquafina a lot, but there's just like her voice, can, like, I, like, it's weird because, like, I cringe, but then at the same time, I'm like, ah, yes, you know, like, I don't know what it is about her that, like, kind of drives me up the wall, but I also really like her a lot. So it's really weird. Like, I don't want to like her. Like, if I, if I, it should be like one of those people that, like, one of those friends you have, you're like, yeah, I just really don't want to like this person, but I can't help it. It's the same type of thing, you know? Yeah. It's like, I definitely have friends that, like, better judgment i'd be like oh man if i didn't if i didn't meet you in a certain context i would not have gotten along with you but i get along with you really well that's how i feel with her in shang chi how i feel with her in aqua uh nora from queens which i yeah. love so um <clears throat> i i'm a i'm a fan of hers i also really liked her in the um the farewell right, yeah the farewell is really so like... good and so yeah. it's like cute and sad like i mm-hmm. i really like the farewell too um but i fucking loved this it was so much fun it had like cool like japanese folklore in it incorporated with the marvel storyline like i thought the actors were all great like this was so much fun and i this is one that i wish i saw in the theater um it was great and then i finally saw dune now so this is when so we we've talked about like experiences in theaters that can be good or bad and it, it wasn't that it was a bad experience because the theater's really cool. It's mid Midtown Independent, I think it is, um, where I went to go see this. But for a movie like that, I wish I saw it in IMAX first or a movie theater that was gonna like blow my eardrums out of my ears, you know, like that's what I wanted and I think, and I just didn't get it. For me, the sound is really low, but I'm also like it, at the age where I'm like, I think I have tinnitus. Like <laughs> I think I'm going dead. 
Huh? It wasn't the theater. That, that's a complaint a lot of people had. Is that? Oh, like, really? Okay. Because yeah. I was like, I was like, the sound is so low. Like, am I fucking going deaf? Like, and that really bothered me because, especially with the soundtrack, you know, like that, I want to be, I want to hear it. Like when I mm-hmm. saw Blade Runner in twenty forty nine in the movie theater, um, the sound was so loud and so engulfing that I remember watching it, and a certain scene came on. And it sounds it sounds like a motorcycle going through a tunnel, and and I know exactly when it is. But the person next to me screams because it was so jarring, yeah, <laughs> uh, and so loud. And and that's kind of what I wanted from Dune, and the um, and the sound just wasn't there. And the the screen was fine, you know what I mean? It wasn't like um, an IMAX screen or like a special like Super HD, you know, whatever. It was just like a regular projection on a movie screen, and so I was like. A little disappointed with the experience of that so i i was like i need to go home and rewatch it on hbo so i can like actually take it in and then i did because i, I felt a little disappointed and i was like i can't tell if it's the movie that's disappointing me or my experience right and so i rewatched it at home there are some parts that are so glorious in it that i was like god this is like all i imagined but i kind of was let down a little bit by the acting i think uh, I, I really, I liked that movie quite a bit, but like I said, you know, when we, we talked last time when I, when I talked about seeing it, it was just, there's something, uh, there was some major, there was like, you know, for the most part, it's like they took the book and they just slapped it into a movie. And I liked that. But at the same time, like they, on the other hand, they made some really glaring, um, character changes like the, the Baron in, you know, he's, he's not portrayed the way I, I, I saw him in the book and yeah. And it's kind of important that you do that because it's if if Villeneuve wants to keep going, which he says he wants to do, he wants to do another Dune Part Two, and then he wants to do the second book. Yeah, you need to have the you need to establish these certain things about this character because they play. I'm not going to give it anyway, but they play later on. But um, I was also just I, my mom and I were on the phone because we're both big fans of the book, and my 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 late father was a huge Dune fan, so we both acknowledged that he would have loved this movie. But I was saying that there were some major glaring problems one of which was that um and and i was tying this back to the david lynch one is that like you have um the char- the character that betrays the atreides family yeah um you know it, it, he, he there's a much more to that character in the book it's not just simple of like yeah i just i mean like not that they did this in, in the new villeneuve movie but it, you know it almost comes off as him being like yeah I had a, like, sorry guys i had to fuck you over whereas yeah. in the book it's a little bit more of like a bigger deal and in the in the david lynch movie you know, um, the, the same character was played by the now, unfortunately, late great Dean Stockwell. Oh, and I know, this... dude. Uh, yeah. yeah, I wanted to talk about that too because I just I rewatched Dune, David Lynch's Dune, right after. Okay, okay, it's so on you... HBO. yeah, right. And so there's that moment where he's like, he's curled up in a ball and he's bawling his eyes out that he's just like fucked over this family that he's worked for and then he's loved and these people that he's been. Yeah. And and I was like that one moment in the David Lynch movie, like that's what I was trying to say about this new Villeneuve one is that, and I, you know, is that the Villeneuve movie looks stunning, yeah. but I have no emotional connection to any of the characters where, except for maybe the Duke, you know, like Oscar Isaac, I think he's fucking fantastic in this where I actually, I'm like, hot. And I, know, <laughs> like, I know he's, I know what's going to happen to his character and I'm dreading it. Whereas in the David Lynch one, I feel like I feel way more emotionally connected to the yeah. character and David Lynch is condensing an entire, I mean, like I've said this before, like the, the, the book. Yeah. Dune, it's not good, but I feel, I, I'm feeling what you're saying. Like I feel more watching the Lynch version, even though it's not, great compared to the new one even though the style and the vision of it it looks exactly how i wanted to i yeah so i i don't know if it's because like it was so hyped like people are like this is the best film i've ever seen in my life and i'm like i don't know i don't know if i've seen the best film i've ever seen in my life but uh and when i watched it i felt like you said empty and someone you know someone was like oh that's how i feel about a lot of his movies but i don't feel that way Arrival is, I feel like, is very emotionally charged, and even you know, um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine and um, Sicario's, you know, the whole point is about having a moral compass. So I'm, I, I don't know yet. I think I'm gonna have to wait some time and then rewatch it when I'm yeah. fresh. I mean, I, I, yeah, I still prefer the David Lynch one because, like I was saying, he, 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 he changes things from the book, but he's able to get certain 
feelings for the characters from the book in 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 much more condensed form, like Which uh, the is Baron. He hates it, right? Uh, yeah, but I mean, he hates it because he's trying to make a David Lynch movie, and Dino De Laurentiis, and and, and it's funny because I was rewatching a lot of the marketing from like the original David Lynch Dune. It's like they wanted to make a fucking Star Wars. Like there was action, there was toy lines, there was all this like merchandising. They wanted to make Star Wars, and David Lynch wanted to make a he wanted to make a movie, you know. And it's like you got those two things conflicting, and then. You know, he he didn't have creative control, which he has now moving forward with everything he does. And like, um, but but like the the scene now that you since you've rewatched David Lynch scene uh, movie, because that's the one I prefer is like there's a scene where the Baron Harkonnen like he and I couldn't stand how they fucking changed the name. I mean, they, they just changed the pronunciation for characters in the new Villeneuve one. And I was like, oh, you're saying it all wrong. But I, it, <laughs> you, can, you can say it either way. It's just that for me, I was just so grown up on a certain way. But there's a scene where the Baron, he like he floats up to the top of this like. Thing yeah. and he like all its oils i mean i saw the scene when i was like four and it fucked me up but then he like comes down he rips and the heart plug thing from the david lynch movie is all david it's all part of the david it's not in the book but he rips it out and it's like this young kind of effeminate boy is like dying in his arms and he's kind of like getting off on it and it's like yeah that's the character like the character is kinky he's fucking decadent he's fucking he's ruthless and he's brilliant but he's also got this like kind of like sleazy kinky side to him um steve and i steve sears who we've had on the podcast before and i he and i were talking about it and i was saying that what was missing from the villeneuve one was we were trying to figure out a phrase and we finally hit it which was it there's no sexy mysticism in the movie like yeah. <laughs> like, like like when 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 paul atreides is having these visions like they feel like these kind of like weird kind of abstract visions and like whereas in the villeneuve one it's just like they're very straightforward and it's like and like i said in the last yeah. episode you can see which part of the story Dune, they're doing the same story, but you can see which part appealed to which person. And it's just like Yudorowsky. Yudorowsky was like all, when he wanted to make Dune, he was, what appealed to him was this kind of like expanding your consciousness and like, and becoming this like other being where, and which is, I think what David Lynch was kind of going with. Whereas Villeneuve is like, this is a boy who becomes a man and a warrior. And it's like, that's yeah. a great story. That, that's which part is of the his story style, too. I feel like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, but... I liked it, but I, I feel more, emotionally connected to david lynch's version and um and i also just feel like a lot of like knowing that where the movie where dune villeneuve's dune ended i was like wait a minute you have all these amazing actors that you're just going to show i mean I, I expected a lot more i didn't know that it was just going to be a part one so i expected yeah. like the whole story so like javier bardim who i fucking love um and having him just kind of show up for like five minutes and being like Yep, that's Javier Bardem or Zendaya, which I knew that there's going to be more to that character. But yeah. I also, you know, it's like, it, what a bold move. I give him so much fucking props for being like, I'm going to ensemble this amazing cast and we're only going to do half of a book. And we don't even know if we're going to get to do the other half. And I'm like, I feel oh, like man, he knew, though. Like, I feel like he knew. Like, there's no way he wasn't going to get that money. Well, Blade Runner, I mean, because he'd said he too, that he thought his career was over after Blade Runner because Blade Runner, we loved it, but it flopped. And yeah, it was just really? funny because the original. I mean, yeah, I, I was like, I feel like alone. I held that movie up. I watched it like four times. That the movie theater, bombed, but... and and it's, people forget that the original movie bombed, and the critic and you know the criticisms leveled against the original Blade Runner were the exact same ones leveled against the new one, where it was just like, it's it's a, it's it's kind of it's too somber, it's too like slow, and it's like. I've known people, and and I I try not That's to so talk annoying. to them. Yeah, yeah, I try not to talk to them often. <laughs> but I know people who are like, yeah, I've tried watching the first Blade Runner, but I keep falling asleep. And I'm like, well, you're a fucking idiot, and I don't want, and our friendship's oh. over. Well, you like, suck. I, yeah, I yeah. hate you. Because Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner, is to me my favorite. Is uh, to me, as far as I'm concerned, the best science fiction film ever made. Like I, yeah, I love that movie so much, and I will, I anytime, like I'll put that on for like, I'll, like I'm just gonna watch five minutes of a certain scene, and then I end up getting roped into the. I I can't just put on a scene just to put on a scene. I end up watching the entire fucking movie because it's that. There are so many things about the original Blade Runner, but it's just funny to me that the new one came out. It was fantastic. It was what if you wanted a sequel to Blade Runner. This is what you wanted. Yeah. It didn't, you know, and it got the same exact response and criticisms as the original one. And people forget that. Like, people forget that when Blade Runner came out in 82, it was a bomb. And people were like, what a fucking hot piece of shit this was. And then years later, people started reevaluating like, and being I like. I feel like that's how it goes, though. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. that it's brilliant. 
Um, so I watched like a few older movies, so I yeah. forget that I have the Criterion channel that I pay for until sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, I've been paying for it for like six months now or again, and I forgot I had it. So I watched Thief, which Oof. is Michael Mann. It is like, oh God, it's so good. And I had first seen this at the New Beverly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did I go with you or Matt? You, Either you one were, of you. Probably. You were with me. And I was back because I was about to mention that screening. It yeah. was me and Steve. And uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, really sick. Uh, one of the best scores by Tangerine Dream. I have it on vinyl, which is it got re-released. Um, but it's like you know that's like yeah. and he dude James Khan is like the manliest man in it too. It's like it's so perfect, and he's so like by the book of his own book. Like I don't yeah. know how to describe it besides that. Like fuck James Con- James Khan is so good in it. It's he's, like yeah, he's a character that's like he has he's he's he has his. his- code and he he sticks he by it and he can't but he even when it's even when it's a detriment to him and he should he and the whole point of the thief is that he finally breaks his like he's like he had this plan this is what he was going to do and then some guy comes up the 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 guy from mrs dalfire comes up to him and is like hey i can help you make this plan happen a lot quicker and that's where his that's where it all yeah. starts going to shit it's great remember though. Yeah, do you remember when we saw that movie uh, in the, in the New Beverly? And I remember because I had already seen this movie before, but I'd never seen it in a crowd. And there's that amazing scene where he has that. He, it's that that I, I just can't describe it visually. It's just so fucking rad. But the them breaking into that vault. Yeah. And and, and the then sparks and the, yeah. and the like yeah. And afterwards, he just like he's all done, and he just lights a cigarette, and the whole fucking <laughs> crowd explode started clapping because it was just like, yep, yeah. that makes sense. And that's what I miss so badly about LA theaters. But yeah, I, I had rewatched it, and and that was probably the, like one of the first times I rewatched it since I've mm-hmm. seen it. Um, I think when I like movies, I'll rewatch them right after. Like I just can't help myself, and then it will be a little while before I'll see them again. And so I was really happy to see a bunch of Michael Mann on the Criterion Channel, but yeah. Thief for sure. Um, and then I watched Chinatown, which mm. is Roman Polanski, um, which you know is mm-hmm. a a director that I feel strongly against, but I've still, I'll still mm-hmm. watch his movies. Um, and it's, it is so good. It is like really mm-hmm. a perfect, like Los Angeles noir film, mm-hmm. you know, and it made me a little homesick because they film at Echo Park Lake. Obviously it was, it was big, I guess, especially back then where yeah. it's supposed to be in the 1930s. Um, and so it is brilliant. Everyone's brilliant. Faye Dunaway is like so good in it. Um, yeah. And I forget because you know her most notable performance to me is um, "Mommy Dearest." Yeah, is "Mommy Dearest," and like that's been ingrained. I think I saw it too young. I used to call my mom "Mommy Dearest" when I was mad at her, but mm-hmm. it's been like grained in my in my brain for forever. But I I was like, "Fuck!" I wish I hated Roman Polanski's movies, but they're just so good. The yeah, um, I mean, the, I had a conversation about that recently, and the way I kind of broke it down was that, like, look, I will watch Roman Polanski's movies, but I would never want to sit down and have a conversation with him about those movies because I just think he's a garbage human being. I can't deny the fact that he's fucking yeah, he's. But you know, it, it, and this is another thing that my wife and I have d- debated because you know we've had the Roman Polanski debate in our household a lot. But she, she does make a good point, and this is the point that I make to other people who are like, oh, I'm never watching a Roman Polanski movie again. I'm like, well, if you never watch Rosemary's Baby again, then you're kind of shitting you're, – you're disregarding the work that Mia Farrow did, that John yeah. Cassavetes did, that Ruth Gordon did. That the you whole – everybody did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The cinematographer. I mean, same thing with Chinatown where it's like that was – Jack Nicholson is flawless in that movie. Faye Dunaway. I mean, everybody – John Huston. I mean, like everybody in that movie is so fucking dynamite that like – to to credit it solely with to, to Polanski is a disservice to everybody else. So that's how I look at it with his movies, where it's like, you know what? It's not just Roman Polanski making this fucking movie. It's other people involved. Yeah, that's true. You know? And that's how I and that's mostly how I look at it. Um, <laughs> or how you can look at it because you know there are still pieces of art made by like really terrible humans that oh, like absolutely. can be appreciated by the eye of the beholder instead of who made them but mm-hmm. but yeah i rewatched it oh and then i saw this movie called the night house because i heard a lot of stuff about it everyone was like oh the good new horror movie and it it is good until it's not at all That's i thought I, I thought it was going to be like it starts getting scary and it I feel like it set itself up to be a way better movie than it actually is, which is like super disappointing. So like there's like 
a weird parallel it's about you know this woman her her husband just died and then or her partner and then she finds out or by suicide and uh she finds out all this stuff about him and hidden things but it's like weird occult books and like about parallel universes or like mazes within things and she finds a house that's built directly across from her that is the exact mirror of her house and then the ending is just like so it's like poo it's like oh Mm. i was just so mad by it i was like it could have set it up for something so totally different and then it went a, a, a different way and i was like really disappointed i thought it would have been like a much smarter film than it actually was mm-hmm. so it sucks because i enjoyed it um it's it is creepy it's it's like the slow pace but it's like very eerie um and then it just i feel like the ending just gets like dumped out and then the last thing i wanted to talk about was dexter which uh has come back the to new our one lives. the new dexter yeah okay um it just started there i think the second episode's premiering tonight um i i used to love dexter even though by the end it was just really not a good show and some of the serial killers on there were pretty cool i think uh what's his what's tom hanks son colin hanks yeah so his name he was a serial yeah. killer on dexter and he was really great i i really liked him so you know we've come back after what a 10-year hiatus um is that is that oh has it been that mm-hmm. long mm-hmm. dang uh yeah until until dexter ended and it kind of like the season eight it kind of left it open and so you're, you're like not sure if he lives or dies or like what's gonna happen and then clearly he's alive and he's living in this like alaskan or i don't actually know where he is but I think it's remote, yeah. yeah, remote, cold town that's only open for like tour, you know, that's open to people. But then, like, a lot of uh, rich tourists come through in the winter to like do snowboarding. And you're like, is he the same person? Has he changed? You know, mm, I like it. I, I really like uh, Michael C. Hall a lot as an actor. Me he too. plays one of my favorite people, um, David on Six Feet Under. Uh, so I'm really interested to see what they're going to do with it. I mean, it's only supposed to be one season thing, right? Um, I don't know. I, I, know. I, I well, we'll see if it goes. I, I mean, I like never him really. Enough. Yeah, really? Dexter. Never. I liked the first two or three seasons, but then after a while, it became like it was kind of what I was afraid Hannibal was going to become. But then Hannibal, I think, was smart enough to like switch gears. Yeah. It's like, is there really that many serial killers operating in one location at the same time? That's my problem with Dexter. Um, was was that whereas with you know because Hannibal almost also had a, a first season was kind of like a serial killer of the week and then it kind of like petered out to being like no it's about these two characters yeah and I, I and for me Dexter maybe I, I know that Dexter probably got a little bit more into that whole thing but then like you know with John Lithgow who's fucking brilliant Dude, and it that, was great. oh he was so good as yeah know. but it's just it was to me it was like it, I for for something for me for me Dexter so shows like Dexter really have should have a limited lifespan as far as like seasons go you know to really like you know because after a while then it's just like what do we fuck what do we do with you can see the writers going what do we do now and that's always a and sometimes that's a really cool place to be in where like the writers are like we're just gonna kind of go as we figure it out as we go along and sometimes you're like i wish you had a plan and for yeah. me <laughs> Dexter kind of felt like i wanted them to have a little bit more of a plan towards because i mean i didn't watch it religiously anymore but i would, would catch it and well, I just it was, was like... based off a book, but they didn't mm-hmm. take all of the book things. And I'm kind of, it's weird because I'm kind of glad because then it turns into a, like, he's possessed. Like, it, instead of, like, his dark passenger, he's, like, possessed by a serial killer being. And I was like, no, I want it to be about yeah. a real serial killer, even though he sure. calls himself that side of him, the dark passenger, but still. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I, I'm interested. I'm, I'm going to, this was, this is going to be one that I'm going to wait until it's done. And for people to be like, Oh, it was man. The new, the new revamp or reboot of Dexter or whatever you want to call it, like is fucking brilliant. And I'm like, all right, I'll sit down and watch it. Cause I'm just, I'm not excited enough as is. So, yeah. Um, well, what did you watch? I mean, I, um, I, well, I, I've been, you know, shows I've been watching, uh, I've been kind of, religiously watching chucky just because um and, oh, and yeah and i, I, I need will to say figure this. out where to steal that from yeah it's it's fucking great and like here's the thing is that it's not reinventing the wheel at all like you're not it, it's you're not gonna watch chucky and go man they are doing something with television they've never done before but <laughs> i do like i i, I do like that, that you know it's it's uh you know, it's definitely, you know, my wife and I were watching it the other night and she's like, she's like, it's fine. You know, she's not as into it as I am, but she's like, who is it for? And I was like, it's for me. Like, it's for fans of the franchise who go, 
oh my god, I know where this is going. I know where this. I know that like there's a scene in the first episode where somebody where the main character gets a phone call from somebody he doesn't know who it is, like a random phone call. And I went, I know exactly who that phone call is from, and I'm really, I am excited that they set that up in the first episode, and that's gonna. I know that's gonna play out later on, and I was really excited. And then, uh-huh. um, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of everywhere in the you know in the the websites these days. But Jennifer Tilly came back last week. And so it was like, oh, fucking great. You know what I mean? Like it's, or this, I think it was this week actually. So um, they're, they're, it's it's made for the fans of the show, but she was more talking about like the tones, like, is it a show for kids, teens or is it a show for adults? And I was like, I think it's kind of treating them both as one and the same, you know, like the main characters are teenagers. There's a great um, gay subplot or gay romance going on in that, which I think is great, you know, because it's not treating as like, it's not making it as if it's like, a big deal as much as it's saying like yeah you know those shows where you see a boy and a girl like and they have a crush on each other and you're watching that evolve it's the same thing you know yeah. it's the same thing it's just with two boys you know and I, I i dig that um i like that there's characters in the show that i'm like i fucking hate this character i want them to die and then like two episodes later i'm like oh fuck yeah i actually <laughs> I'm, i actually want them to stick around a little bit longer so i really like that um like i said though it's not it's it's not redefining the wheel but it's like when they announced when when Don Mancini was like I'm gonna make Child's Play into or Chucky into a a a series I was like oh I wonder what that's gonna be like I I have certain hopes and I have certain fears and this show is all the hopes that I had where I was like yeah this is what I want I don't want anything it's kind of like Ash versus Evil Dead in the sense that I was like when that came out I was like could this be amazing and I think it was but was it was it like it was like I said was it breaking television you know was it yeah. changing the, the game no it was just it was giving you what you wanted in smaller chunks you know like um and because you know I don't know what the future that either of those franchises are in film you know like Evil Dead I know they just completed filming a kind of a reboot of the franchise without Bruce Campbell and I'm like I don't know how that's gonna how excited I am for that you know and and whereas Ash vs. Evil Dead was like, man, I've been wanting an Evil Dead sequel with Bruce Campbell for X amount of time, and I got that in a three-season show. Um, same thing with Chucky, you know, and yeah. uh, it's great. And, and he and I love that Don Mancini's bringing everybody. It's like nobody's being replaced. You know, Brad Dorif is is Chucky. You know, Fiona Dorif, his daughter, she shows up in the show, like, and she was in the, the last two movies. Um, Alex Vincent's going to be in it. Like, so many things, and yet you're still you've got you're creating these new characters, but you're still giving the people the fans, the original one. So I watched that. Um, I had mentioned to you that I'm volunteering for uh, the theater, you know, the theater that we both really like. So I'm, um, yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I saw Clockwork Orange. I saw a brand new print of that. And then a restored print. I saw a, um, a film called Winter's Wind from 68. That was really interesting or 69. Yeah. And then uh, tonight I'm going to see uh, the movie Clute with Joan Fonda, uh, Jane, Joan Fonda, Jane Fonda and, uh, and, Donald Sutherland and then Mm -hmm. um I uh you know I watched I watched Dr. Butcher MD because I was in the mood for like a grind (laughs) a a grindhouse sleaze fest and I got that and then um uh last night I I did my own little you know tribute to one of honestly one of my favorite character actors of all time um Dean Stockwell who passed away this week and I was I was I woke up like here's the weird thing is that I've thought about him a lot in the past few months because I was like, how old is he? Where is he? Like, is he okay? You know, I grew up on Quantum Leap, and so like my dad watched that, and so I have like you know this weird fond memory of of Quantum Leap, and so I was like, I was like, oh, I need to find it. I think it's on Amazon Prime actually. Mm-hmm. And I was going to start rewatching it, and it's funny because I had just rewatched Dune, and I was thinking about him too. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I grew up with it on Quantum Leap too. And then I saw, you know, and then as I got a little bit older, you know, I, you know, I went back and rewatched Dune after I wasn't so scared of it. And like, you know, and, and there's that. And then, and then of course, I mean, Blue, yeah. Blue Velvet where, you know, it's like, he's in the movie for maybe a total, total of like six or seven minutes, maybe 10. And he has one of the most memorable scenes, I think in cinematic history where he's like lip syncing, um, Roy in Orbison. Dreams by Orbison. And yeah. it's just, it's fucking great. I love the character. And then, um, just God, just like a month or two ago, I watched uh, the Dunwich Horror with him in it um, from the seventies. And then, um, so last night I was just kind of it was late at night, and I was just like, whatever. And I put on the Werewolf of Washington, which is a seventies film where he plays like a, I think he plays like a, a the president's press reporter who um, 
you know, is uh, gets bit over in Europe by a uh, a werewolf, and he ends up becoming a werewolf in Washington D.C. And it's like it's funny, and it's like I think it's trying to be scary at certain points. It's just it's not, but it's it's fucking fantastic. And and um, I I love Dean Stockwell so much because even when I like when I'm like, man, that delivery was a little like over the top it still just works you know and um yeah and you know it's funny because i i know a lot of people a lot a lot of people in my life who are like big battlestar galactica fans and i I oh yeah the first maybe two or three seasons and it wasn't like i I gave up on it because i was i was you know not into it it was just i wasn't as into it as everybody else was you know for me it wasn't like oh i gotta watch one more episode just like that portlandia sketch but i do know that dean stockwell shows up later on as a major character and i didn't uh i feel bad that i never really got that far um with that but then um yeah i i then i watched uh, the movie that we watched last night which hit me a lot harder i well i'll explain that in a second but i hadn't seen it in over 20 years and uh oh I really got the, yeah so, so yeah so we did chronos uh, mm-hmm. which is a Guillermo, Guillermo de Toro film, who's like one of my favorite directors mm-hmm. um, ever, ever. He's done, obviously, Pan's Labyrinth. Um, he did The Shape of Water most recently. And, the one's best um, picture. Yeah, which it's funny because a lot of people hate on it, I think, but they've never heard him speak about it. And if you've ever heard him speak about anything, he's so passionate and he's not just passionate about his own work. He's passionate about film in general. I know. And he, you know, Dottoro had an exhibit too. And it was cool because, um, the, the device, the Kronos device. So basically how, how the movie is, is, um, an antiques dealer in Mexico finds this, um, hidden device and the device, um, is, will give you immortality but there's always a cost you know mm-hmm. so um so you hadn't seen it in 20 years do you want to give like a little uh... yeah uh so you know because like, i remember it came out in 93 yeah i saw it when it first came out on video and i remember because i remember watching i would wanted to see it you know because i saw like a clip in one of those like you know movies that are you know like it was some sort of like show where they were talking about movies that were coming out in the theater or that were like whatever it was like spotlight and it had this, this very uh i think a very iconic moment from the movie where he's um there's you know he he gets this device it gives him it, it restores his vitality it restores his youth but it also gives him a thirst for blood it's this yeah. movie is a vampire film with with it that never uses the word vampire, vampire yeah. so there's this there's a scene where there's blood on this bathroom floor and he like yeah. gets down <laughs> and he licks it and i remember seeing i was like what the fuck is that so my 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 dad he had rented it right when it came out on video. And I remember we were living in Connecticut for a year and um, where I was in his room with, I was, we had a, my parents had a TV in their bedroom. I had a TV in my room. We didn't have a living room, you know, situation. So I was in their room and me and my, my dad watched it together. And we were both just like, holy shit. Like I remember being so excited, but you got to remember, like I'm uh, 12 years old. I'm a huge movie fan, but like, I I'm like the movies. I'm like, I'm like, I'm into like, you know, weird, independent stuff you know that like none of my friends at school want to talk about or they don't care or they can be like oh yeah we've heard about this you know just shut up yeah. you know like so i had nobody to talk to about this movie but i remember being so thoroughly blown away by this movie um, yeah. that i was like holy shit and like you know same thing with my dad it was like one of the things that my dad and i really connected on which is at a time where we were having hard time connecting in things so mm-hmm. um you connected over the movie. Yeah, so we connected over this movie, and, like, I loved it, and I was a huge fan of it, and then I didn't see Mimic, but then I saw, you, You've like, never seen Mimic? I To this day, I've never seen Mimic, yeah. Interesting. Um, I really like Mimic, but Mimic isn't one of his favorite movies. He, he, it's funny, because Del Toro talks about how it was, you know, Miramax and the Weinstein brothers, and how he didn't like working with them and didn't like the final cut and blah, 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 but I remember Mimic was the first movie of his that I saw as a kid, and that movie scared mm-hmm. the shit out of me. Really? Yeah, um, so I didn't see... I think Mimic was the first one I saw, and so then I saw The Devil's Backbone, and then I saw mm-hmm. Kronos, but um there's something that that scene you're talking about where he you know licks blood off the floor it's like Mm -hmm. something that's so desperate that his character shows so perfectly that makes it so scary yeah no and that's i remember as a kid it really freaked me out like seeing the clip and then seeing because there is a weird like a moment because like it you know 
to give context to the to the listener like before he licks the blood off the floor he's about to like lick it off this like sink and then some guy interrupts him and cleans it up and he's like fuck you know and then he sees it on the floor and he's like okay yeah. you know and it's like it's, it's a real it is it's a really it's a degrading moment but like it's done so beautifully and um you know it's funny because i you know you mentioned Guillermo del Toro talking and everything um well real quickly the 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 real crux of this movie is his relationship with his granddaughter yeah. you know he's got this granddaughter who doesn't speak she says one line in the movie and it's very it's it's a very important moment so i don't want to give that away but it's a relationship with this this old antique dealer and his granddaughter and his wife but specifically the granddaughter and how they kind of like come across this and you know this industrialist who wants the device for himself who wants eternal life or prolonged life and his nephews played by the always amazing ron, yeah, Perlman, ron Perlman. um who um you know is basically kind of like forced into working for his uncle because he wants to get his inheritance and everything and um he's a real garbage i mean ron Perlman's character is a real garbage dude you know and like a uh, real piece of shit too like the industrialist and his um and his nephew are real garbage people. And so it's like these two uh, representations of family connections kind of butting heads, you know, and like um, everything that, that the antiques dealer does, you know, in a sense, you get a sense that he's, he, you know, his granddaughter is his life, you know, and, and, and the industrialist, you get the sense that he doesn't give a fucking shit about his nephew. He just wants, he just needs somebody to do, to carry out the things that he wants to be carried out, you know, these awful things. So, um, what I was saying was that, you know, I was watching this movie and I was feeling really fucking smart about myself. You know, I was like, yeah, you know, and I started writing down these notes. And then I watched an interview with Del Toro about this movie, kind of his research. And he said everything that I had written down. I was like, God damn it. Like, yeah. here I am thinking I'm super clever. And he already, he, you know, he, but the most important thing is that Guillermo Del Toro said, everything starts with Kronos. Like, the through line of all of his movies starts with, with Kronos, where like every, and again, I didn't see Mimic, but every movie that I've seen of Del Toro's has to do, you know, like at the, there is an element, if not the major element of family. Yeah. I've seen him speak a, a lot, actually. Like he's one of my favorite directors. So I've seen it, you know, whether mm -hmm. at, at Comic-Con um, or at the Arclight. Um, I, I've, I've watched him a bunch and, and you got me one of the Christmases, you know, his, mm -hmm. um, his notebook, um, his art book. So yeah. there's a lot that I've seen, um, the shape of water he talked about. And so the big thing is about too, is like, he knows how to incorporate children of where they, like he, he doesn't play into like children are smart. Children are very smart and they pick up a lot of things. And even the character in this movie, um, a lot of people, you know, think that she was written to be kind of like on the spectrum or she was mute up until the very end. But she is the one who knows what's happening the entire time. Yes. Um, and she's very smart to pick up on on certain things. You know, there's a scene in the movie where she's cleaning out her her tour, uh, her toy draw for her grandfather because she knows you know what's going to happen next like and and so um yeah he doesn't make them stupid but they also like they're so accepting and they have like this great grand imagination to where like he writes children perfectly into these storylines because he knows like I, I feel like there's not many directors who know how to write children like that well yeah, they either write them as innocent but dumb or you know uh too or uh, you're you're like or savants it's like yeah but and he, and yeah, I feel like he knows how to incorporate like a childlike imagination with also, you know, the reality of the situations that are going on. Everyone yeah. in this movie is good, even Ron Perlman. And it's funny because there's a little thing about how he was supposed to speak fluent Spanish. Yeah. And yep. I guess Del Toro was like, you're not very good. This is going to sound insulting. So we're going to make you speak um, English and then make you kind of like this American expat that's like mad that he's in Mexico, which I thought was pretty funny. So he'll uh, speak Mexican, he'll, he'll speak Spanish poorly on purpose, yeah. which I like. <laughs> I, I actually watched that interview too with Ron Perlman where he explained that like he didn't know that the movie was going to be in Spanish. And then when he found out, he took some time and he went and he, he you know, in his hotel room and he was trying and he went and sat down with Guillermo del Toro. He's like, he's like, he read him a few lines. He's like, what did you think? And Guillermo del Toro was like, oh, it's terrible. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> we have a big smile on his face and it's like um that's also something i like about del, del toro that like he finds comedy in in the weirdest places but then never feels forced you know yeah um like ron perlman's character in this movie 
is obsessed with i mean his nose is constantly getting broken so he's obsessed with uh plastic surgery so he's like they're you know they really play that up a lot um where he's got like you know he's got the cards with the different potential nose jobs and that, that plays into the beginning and then there's a scene where he's in his bedroom like picking at his feet or whatever listening to a, a record like a an audio thing about like plastic surgery and if you notice in the background he's got like bodybuilder things he's got, like, you know and it's like so it's so funny but it doesn't feel like it's forced it feels yeah. really natural I feel like um, he knew how to use Ron Perlman uh, very well like like you just said there's even a scene at the end where like you know his his uncle dies and he was just like mine 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 all mine and then his uncle's still alive and he's <laughs> it's like so funny and like childlike and I, I was like this yeah it is it's it's like almost not a horror movie but it is you know like yeah. obviously it is a horror movie this this um grandfather ha had found this device and it made him into a monster mm -hmm. um and and it's and it's like but he's still kind of the same person and so even at the end his his ode to francis ford coppola's uh dracula, dracula yeah. is is pretty great but i mean the movie in itself is probably one of my favorites. And even watching it now, I'm like, this is one of his best films. Like, oh yeah, Hands and I'll probably say that favorite. about all of them that I watch of his because I'm a big fan. I, I've I've seen everything he's done, and so I, I see. I, I I don't like. I know that like. Um, I mean, let me put this way: Cronus is still my favorite of his films. I know that Pan's Labyrinth. When I watch it, I know that it's a better film just like on a technical level on like a he's you know he's definitely more comfortable as a director and he's he's i, I think one of the problems with chronos and i don't think this is a problem <laughs> but it is yeah. jarring is that there's a weird tone to it that i can't like the characters like the 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 two you know the the industrialist and his, and his nephew there's something oh so over the top about them in this very kind of grounded movie about you know and I dark guess, movie well he wrote them uh, according to you know um mm -hmm. the internet and his um interviews and stuff is like he wrote them on purpose to be silly almost not silly but like more like comic book characters and almost unreal and so he did that on purpose as kind of like a nod to hollywood about their view of mexicans yeah no I, and i remember seeing that too and like and, but it's like it's weird because like the movie doesn't like it's for a movie with with a pretty dark theme to it it's got a weird tone where it almost it doesn't like the music in the very beginning kind of has this like almost very whimsical like yeah it's you almost fantasy feel like based yes. instead of horror based even though there's points like you know he's like there's a scene in there where he like reaches inside him and like rips off his skin in front of his granddaughter and his granddaughter is just taking it all in you know she's yeah. not saying anything and it is very scary i mean obviously he was murdered and yeah. uh spoiler um yeah uh, and then he comes back to life but he's he realizes you know that he's a monster and so even that part is kind of funny when he escapes from being right. put into the incinerator oh, that was what i was gonna say is like the the, the whole court the whole the coroner scene or the mortician scene is comedy it's, it's hilarious you know like this guy's doing all this work on him and the work isn't that great but he thinks he's an artist and then like like oh yeah they're cremating him anyway and he's like what the fuck you know and then like all that's really great and funny um but there's just there is a weird tonal shift the tones of that movie that i think only only Guillermo del Toro can get away with yeah and I've seen other people try it and I just don't feel like it works, but I know Pan's Labyrinth is a better movie. You know, Pan's I know Labyrinth is well, it, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would say better in a, in a sense of like Pan's Labyrinth when I saw it, it like completely blew me away. Cause it took his, uh, well, one, I think he incorporates his style into it. Like you can see, you can see his style every, every movie he does in blade two and Hellboy and yeah. Hellboy two, a lot of Hellboy two reminds me of Kronos, you know, yeah. especially the intricate scenes. Cause he's very ornate and detailed oriented. You know, there's a lot of yeah. scenes that are shot inside the Kronos device, which I thought was very cool. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, yeah. And so you see it, you kind of see it in every movie he does, but I, I think I just mean like Pan's Labyrinth was like where I feel like he was the best he, at well he was the most confident at what he was doing at that time you know and like and but I, at the same time I mean because Pan's Labyrinth I, I saw that it was the I saw that here in LA it was uh, one of the I, my mom came to visit it was I was still in film school I took her to the Arclight we saw it and like we saw it at the dome and I just remember being like holy shit you know like I expected something different I mean when I say Pan's Labyrinth is is dark it is fucking it's, dark you it's know? so dark and so sad and so yeah 
cool and fantastic you know and there's a lot of things that he incorporates you know like old folklore into it obviously what, what, sure. what is it a yam like a yam and milk um that he uh and the the, the well like the idea the, of like under the, the bed like, that's like, like a yeah. really old like that's through centuries you know old mm-hmm. and he incorporates these um these mythic beings into that into that and then you know at the end you re- you you I don't want to ruin the ending, but it's like, yeah, it's so fucking sad that I don't think I've watched it again since I've seen it. I have it. not. I have <laughs> not either. And it was like, like, so it like hurt me. You know, I think it hurt yeah. a lot of people. But... And you go through a lot of rough stuff to get to that ending and you're yeah. just like, Jesus Christ, you know, but like, um, but uh, I guess what I'm saying is like, I know it's, it's, I, I do think it's his best movie, but I think Kronos is my favorite and, and yeah. the one that like, I, I, you know, even, like, you know, and I, again, I was watching an interview where he was like, he was watching, he's like, he still loves it very much because, and he's like, and he's like, you know, I know there's flaws in it. And it's like, oh my God, what a sweet guy just to be like, yeah, look, I know it's, I know it, you know, he's not being like, there's other directors that you will watch that will be like, that think that everything they do is fucking gold. And um, they, they're, they're not, they're not as easy to admit that there's there's glaring flaws in their movies and he is the first person to admit it but he also loves those flaws and i do yeah. too you know and, and i really do think chronos is is his best one and i mean let me let me kind of I like mean, uh, he's done some like beautiful work but i agree i think it's and it's his first feature mm-hmm. it's his first full feature movie and that fucking and the, as somebody who's like you know into filmmaking trying to make films all this stuff it is a horrifying thing that like this guy on his first film can just knock it out of the park like that and it's like it, it it's not there's no mistake there's directors you see that their first movie is like whatever and then they, they pick up the pace as they, they get through their career uh del toro is one of those directors that when you see his first movie it's kind of like when i saw sam evil dead you know the first yeah. then you go oh yeah i can totally get because when i first saw the first evil dead sam raimi had a career but he had he wasn't where sam he, he wasn't, wasn't sam raimi, sam raimi yet raimi yeah. now yeah yeah and i remember being like wow this guy is going to you know this guy has it because there's, there's just something about it you know and evil dead one is incredibly flawed same thing with gamble del toro chronos has got some some because my wife was like wait a minute wait whoa, 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 wait what's going on here why is this happening and i'm like i don't really care like <laughs> I, I was like i don't care it's so it, it's it's so good and it was such an emotional viewing for me and um but uh, I, 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 you know, and it's, it's, it's funny because the other through line of all of his movies is that like Del Toro is really great at making you sympathize with the, with the quote yeah. unquote monster of the movie, you know, uh, the, the grandfather in this, the antiques dealer, um, Hellboy, you know, yeah. um, in Blade, you know, Blade 2, the villain of the movie, you actually sympathize with at the end because you go, oh, I see why, and it kind of ties into the whole familial thing as well, you know. But like, well, he's, you, he's... Um, he also wrote um, the strain. Well, co-wrote it with Chuck mm-hmm. uh, Chuck Bogan, mm-hmm. um, and so I read I read all those books, and then I also saw it, which is it's funny. I only mention it because the strain vampires remind me very much of of uh, Blade, Blade Two. Yeah, yeah, me too. I thought the same thing. I was like, and and I but even even Crimson Peak. I mean, there's like these this brother and sister, and um, one of the villains obviously is the brother, but he makes you feel so sad for yeah them at the end. And that I think that's a gift that like not a lot of people have, where they can make you sympathize with. I mean, it's easy in Kronos because the the most the most likable character in the entire thing is the 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 monster you know like it was what, what we would what is traditionally considered the monster you know the vampire and everything but we love him you know because he he of his his you know his connection to his granddaughter and also like how much he's trying to stay a, a person you know and, yeah and I, I love that and um i will say this though uh one thing about chronos that i, I that stood out to me this time around watching is is the power of how a mustache can make you look older because when you look at Federico Lupi, he doesn't look, I mean, he's, there's not a lot of makeup on his, you know, when he's in the beginning of the movie, he's just got this mustache, the gray hair, whatever. The moment he fucking shaves that mustache, I'm sure they did. They did some touch-ups on his makeup. He looks younger and you go, Oh yeah. You know, he looks more, it's like, man, a gray mustache can make you look really fucking old. And uh, I, uh, I thought it just made me laugh because I was like, all they really did was shave it. Um, The one thing I wanted to point out, because you know watching this again and then watching interviews and everything is uh Guillermo Navarro's uh cinematography yeah. is is i mean it's 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 when i say it's fucking 
spectacular and it's, it's not they're not these grand sweeping shots i mean there is a beginning with a crane shot of like the the location and everything but it's for a movie that is he's his cinematography is able to ground ground the movie in reality but also make it feel fantastic and um guillermo navarro he has done so many movies um most of mostly you know most of del toro's films mm -hmm. i think del toro's in like 90 percent. but he also did jackie brown which is one of my it is my yeah. favorite tarantino yeah film. same you know and like i just wanted to point that out that he, you know his cinematography alone is and, and the use of colors like that they, they, they were really it's scary the the amount of detail that del toro took or or put into this everything about this movie from 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 the the um the names of the characters to yep. where certain wounds appear on their bodies to um the colors i mean like he i i didn't even think about it because this is how good you know this when you, when you do this right it's so good that somebody doesn't even think about it um the the color red only shows up in a few places you know and it's deliberate and it's really i mean you could it's scary that somebody's first film could be a, a you could teach you could teach a film class on that movie you know yeah and be like hey filmmakers this is what you should be fucking watching like um but yeah everything you said like the i remember thinking the insect aspect of it you know of, of chronos because there's a huge part of it that has to do with insects um the, specifically the chronos device was very reminiscent to me of like cronenberg in a weird way yeah um, i mean there's lots of folklore also especially in egyptian with beetles and and mm -hmm. you know and so i thought that was cool that you know there's a line in there that he talks about he's like an insect and he goes aren't all insects god's greatest creatures you know mm -hmm. and it it honestly makes a lot of sense they they were here and they'll survive way more right. than, than humans ever will and just the idea that there's like the the there's something very mechanical about a, a yes. insect to begin with. That's really almost like it's like a perfect machine. Uh, that's that's something that I think Cronenberg has not so much in his movies, maybe just from reading interviews with him, where he has expressed like admiration for like insects and like you know and how fascinating they are. And just knowing that and watching this, I was like, oh, there's a really Cronenberg-esque element to that. But um, this movie is just it's kind of even with even with its flaws i'm yeah. this is going to be it's a weird it, yeah it's 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 a it is a flawed movie that somehow ends up being flawless you know yeah it's like and i'm i'm glad because it's maybe been just a few years since i've rewatched it but it's it's so good and i feel that way mostly when i watch all his movies i'm like this movie is the best thing he's ever done but honestly i think it's chronos it's just it just has everything i want in it yeah yeah and it's like and, and you know and you, like i said like you can watch del toro this film and you can see the roadmap for everything oh just about everything else you know whether it's ron perlman who he worked on with yeah. this blade two the two hellboys um i even and there's something like there's a lot and he he takes a lot um and, you know a lot of directors do this is they take from other movies or they they see something and they're inspired by it and they put it in their film there's something so heartfelt about the way he does that rather than like people like tarantino or others um yeah. where you're like god this this man loves film yes and i think that's why i love all his movies so much i i know because it's he doesn't want you to know he doesn't want you to recognize how much you know, it, uh, when I, I do like Tarantino, but like when Tarantino talks about like other films and how much he loves films, it's almost like he wants to be recognized for being that guy who knows this yeah. and that about films. Whereas Guillermo del Toro just like he just gushes, yes, cinema, you know, and he loves film. And like, I, I really do love watching interviews with him because it's just like I, I using the, the sit down and have dinner analogy I use with Roman Polanski, I feel like I would love to sit down and, and talk to Roman, it's Quinn Tarantino, but I find it would be really exhausting. Like you would be talking all night, but you wouldn't be talking. It would be pretty much him talking for eight hours into the night. And you'd be like, Oh my God, whereas Del Toro, you feel like you could actually have a conversation with, you know, like yeah. you could, you can go back and forth with it. And I really, I think there's a lot to be said about that. I do think Del Toro is one of the greatest filmmakers of our time. And, uh, I was I was happy that Shape of Water won um, Best Picture because it was like it was kind of the same feeling I had about Parasite, you know, like when when mm -hmm. Par you know when Parasite won Best Picture, and it's like you felt like something you felt like one of your own, like somebody yeah. that you could relate to, you know, got the prize, you know, and like and that doesn't always happen, and I 
I definitely feel that way about Guillermo del Toro. I think he's so fucking brilliant. And um, yeah, I mean, there's just not, there, there's, there's so much that I, I, I can't go on, you know? I mean, like yeah. even when he appears and like when he shows up and it's always sunny in Philadelphia for a cameo and you're just like, ah, he's just doing it because he's having yeah. fun, you know? You're like, this guy just... is so fucking cool. That was like that, you know, it's like sometimes you have fantasy, especially when you, you, when I lived in LA, I was like, who would I want to see walking down the street randomly? And I'll, I would like fantasize about seeing him and being like, I love you so much. And I'd probably like vomit, you know, instead of like being cool and being like talking about his movies. And like, there's so many <laughs> cool connections. You know, our, our coworker, Jessica, um, our old coworker, Jessica, um, a long time ago, it's funny. She told me that her family's from the same village that Gamar de Toro was from that he grew up in. And so I always thought that was so cool is that he has these like really strong ties to like, people instead of other things and so yeah i just love him i love this movie um a lot i it's not all but like a lot of his stuff right now is on hbo max like mimic's yeah. actually on there mickey they should watch, you watch yeah. it hellboy's on there because i just rewatched it the other day hellboy 2 is probably on there too um yeah. and so a lot of his movies right now are on hbo max well, it's funny that you said that, like, you know, Hollywood people running into them because, you know, and I'll, I'll and, you know, I'll, I'll just keep this really quick. Uh, a friend of mine was throwing a surprise party for her boyfriend. This was like a decade ago. And she was she rented out a spot in a, a part like a spot in a bar in L.A. And and um, we had it for like 10 o'clock moving forward up until 10, though. It was a it was a cast and crew party for uh, Sons of Anarchy. Uh-huh. So we we were coming in as the at the transition moment. And I remember just standing there and people are like, you know, whatever, whatever. And at one point I look over and Ron Perlman's right there. Oh. And you know that you know that moment where you can't, you you want to play it cool, but you can't and you can't hide it. <laughs> yeah. And I just like this, it was like, it was like the Grinch who stole Christmas. Like the way his smile just kind of got bigger. That was my, that was looking at my face. And he's, he, <laughs> Ron Perlman looked over at me, saw, and he, it was one of those moments where he knew that I knew who he was and that I was really excited. And he just did this really, he smiled. And he just did this kind of like nod in my direction. And I just was like, it was like fireworks <laughs> going off. It was like, you know, I couldn't, there's a few, there's a few celebrities that I've interacted with. Yeah. Keith David was one of them. Kiefer Sutherland. That one though was the mo- was the best one just because in the sense that like it was, there was no word spoken. It was just, I couldn't hide my excitement. He acknowledged it and he didn't get weird about it. He just, nodded yeah. and gave me a smile and i just was like wow and it's like when people, and, and you know and it's ron perlman who is you know to to us he's he's fucking he's ron perlman he's awesome to a lot of other people like isn't the guy who kind of looks like tom waits you know like even up until sons of anarchy i don't think ron perlman was the name that he, he that was he was for until, other people yeah. you know i mean for like for film fans and for genre fans you know, it's like running into Clancy Brown, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. you're like, oh my God, you know? Um, and uh, that was a moment in LA. That was an LA moment for that me that I'll never cool. ever forget. Yeah. I love that he recognized it and was like, I'll shoot him a smile and a nod. I know, man. I know I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I heard I he's think... cool. You know, like there are some yeah. people that you hear shit about, but, but that, mm-hmm. that is really cool. And so I, I you know, I, I leave you guys with um, please watch all of Del Toro's yes. films and Ron Perlman's in a lot of them. Yeah. At least so, three of them. Four total. What's the fourth one? I can't think right uh, now. So Kronos. Oh, uh, Boy 1 and 2. Blade 2. Oh, Blade 2. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, the, he's the fucking, he's the bad, he's one of the bad guys in Blade 2. And he's so fucking great in that. I kind of want to rewatch Mimic. That should be everyone's homework is rewatch Mimic. Even, though it's, even though it's not his favorite. I think he's on record saying it's like one of his least favorite films because of the studio stuff. But, you know. Hey, David Lynch said the same thing about Dune and I love I that one. So. All right. Well, I love you. I love you guys. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Bye. <laughs>